Good morning, WFR. It is a joy to be with you all this morning. Happy Father's Day. Uh, one dad said, Trent, Father's Day is the day my family is the most obedient they are out of the whole entire year. He said, I ask them not to spend a penny on me for Father's Day and they don't spend a dime. I'm excited to have the opportunity to preach to you this morning in studying and preparing for this sermon and trying to look for that perfect father in scripture that we could learn things from. There is not a human father in scripture that is a perfect father. There's not, which is comforting to those of us in the room who are human beings and also dads to know that we're we're not going to be perfect And I want to say this to you dads in the audience. You are the dads who showed up today. You're here. You're wanting to be a presence in God's house. And hopefully you're interested in leading your family. Lots of you guys probably all are good men. A lot of you dads out there are good men. In the scriptures, while we don't find perfect fathers, we do find a lot of good men who simply are not great fathers. And we could pick and choose from any of those good men who don't turn out to be great fathers. We could pick and choose from their lives things that we can learn to help us as good men become great fathers. That's the intent this morning. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. And I'm going to be in 1 Samuel, the second chapter The book of Samuel is about the rise of a young man named Samuel who serves as kind of a judge and a high priest of Israel. But in the first part of the first book of Samuel, we get the story of a man named Eli who was the high priest in Israel before Samuel ascended to the priesthood. And in the story of Eli, we learn about... A good guy named Eli, who was not a great father. Which is unfortunate because he had all the tools and opportunity he needed to really become a great dad. My hope this morning is to take a close look at his life and learn from his shortcomings ways good men can become great fathers. Let's get into our text this morning. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 27. The Bible says this. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did not I clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest. To go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me, By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. 
Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now, declares the Lord, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. I want to unpackage this text. First, I want to figure out who exactly this guy named Eli was. When this man of God comes to Eli, the man of God tells Eli, Eli, I know that God had promised to your forefathers that his descendants, which includes you, would be priests in God's kingdom forever. What's happening there is God went to Aaron and told a man named Aaron that Aaron and his children, he had four sons, one of those guys was going to be priest forever. Two of those guys in the book of Leviticus offered some unauthorized fire to God and they were put to death by God himself. They were disobedient and their disobedience caused their demise. So that left two sons. One of those sons was Eli's father and grandfather. And so now Eli is the priest in the nation of Israel. At the time of this writing, Eli is an old man. He served Israel for almost 40 years in his role as priest. In the Old Testament, when we read of men who have served for a long period of time, what that means is that those men were good guys. Guys who were unfaithful, guys who were poor leaders, guys who didn't measure up. Those men's rule, as, as, as it turns out in scriptures, and the scriptures is usually short, So here's a guy that's ruled for almost 40 years, who's old, who's a priest, who's well-respected by others. He's a good guy. But Eli was not a great father. And that's the occasion that influenced God to send this man to warn Eli. So what is it about Eli's sons that was so bad? Well, this is context that I want you to see. I've got it on the screen here. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, we get a sense of some of the wrongdoing Eli's sons were going about practicing in the kingdom of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the Bible says this, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests... That whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And while the meat was being boiled, he would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing... Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, then take whatever you want, the the servant would answer, no, hand it over now, for if you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Priests, at this moment in time, didn't have flocks that they could raise to support themselves. 
They didn't have crops that they could plant and land that they owned to sustain their livelihood. Priests were completely and totally dependent on God for their sustenance. So the way that the sacrifice worked during this time is that, is that people would bring meat to sacrifice. And first they would bo- boil the fat off of the meat. And as the fat was boiling off, the priest would take a three-pronged fork, dip it into the pot, pull it out. And whatever meat came out was meat that the priest was able to use to feed himself and his family. But Eli's sons had grown arrogant and entitled. And they get to the point where they decide, we don't want boiled meat. We want the fresh, nicest cuts of meat. We want some filet. So when men and women would come to sacrifice, Eli's sons would say, before this is burned, I want to cut off choice pieces for us. Now the Israelites would have known this is not what God decreed. First we're supposed to boil and you're supposed to dip the fork in and whatever comes out is yours. That's how it always been. And sometimes these people would put up a little bit of a fight. And the sons were so rebellious that they would threaten people who wanted to do it God's way. And these sons would say, if you don't give in to what I'm saying, I'm going to just take this by force. This was a grievous misuse of the office of the priesthood. And the scriptures say these young men, actually they're, they're relatively old at this time, held in contempt... The sacrifice that should have been dedicated to God. Now to take this one step further, if you remember our text that I read initially to open up these, these, this sermon. In verse 29 of 1 Samuel chapter 2, the man who comes to speak to Eli says, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Here's the tragedy. Samuel participated in eating the pieces of meat that his sons had taken prior to the the meat being boiled. So he was an active participant in holding in contempt the sacrifices that should have been intended for God. If we keep reading and back up just a few verses from the text that we read uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 22 and through 25, we get another idea of what these sons were doing that caused them to be such bad guys. In chapter 22, the Bible says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served At the entrance of the tent of meeting. So Eli said to his sons, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. Not only were these sons treating the sacrifice that was intended for God with contempt and abusing their offices as priests, these men were fornicating and were sexually immoral with women who had come to serve in the tabernacle of God at the time of this writing. There is not a lot else these guys could have been doing that was wrong. So this is the tragedy. You got a man who was a leader in Israel, Eli, who really nothing in scripture is is said ill about this man. 
except for the fact that he was not a great father. He seemed to be loved by his people. He judged and served Israel as a priest for 40 years. That longevity indicates his worth in God's kingdom. He's blessed. He's a good man, but he's not a great father. So we can learn some things today from the life and the fatherhood of Eli. Let me mention a couple of things before I get to the application. The first thing I want to mention is there are some men in the audience who either currently do not have children or whose children are grown and out of the house. What I would say to you guys is to those of you who are not who have not had children yet, learning from a man like Eli how to become great dads will save you a lot of grief as a father. And for those of you dads that don't currently have children living in the home simply because your children are grown, sometimes hearing a sermon like this about ways to become a good father makes us feel like things we should have done and just fills us with a sense of grief and sadness. But to those of you who fit that description, I would say even if you can't go back and make a brand new start, you can start from today and make a brand new end. There's always time in God's family to do a little bit better And my hope would be whatever your fatherhood experience is, that you put some of this in practice no matter where you fall on the fatherhood continuum. There's another group in the audience today that that sometimes would feel overlooked in in a Father's Day message, and those would be the single moms in the house. And so, ladies, if you're sometimes having to play a dual role of of mom and also dad, these these are self-evident truths. These are things that if you integrate into your parenting, even as a mom, you'll help develop your children into committed followers of Jesus Christ. So I hope everybody can pay attention, even on a day where we're celebrating fathers and challenging fathers. My hope is that everybody tunes in and can make just a little adjustment in your approach to leading your family or your children. Because we don't want to settle for good enough. So there are, four, there are three applications I want to mention and a few uh, illustrations I want to give. And we'll get you guys out of here to celebrate some with your family. The first thing that we learn from the life of Eli is that fathers must be disciplined. Fathers must be disciplined. Now this is all about setting a good example as a dad. Remember from what I read how Eli was actually participating in some of the sin his children were committing? What's tragic to me about that is that Eli was not an absentee father. As a matter of fact, he worked alongside his sons. He was very present. He was just not disciplined enough for his presence to have a significant impact. I was reading and preparing for this message and I came across a story that recounted events from September 14th of 1990. Something happened that day that has never happened before or since. Late in his career, King Griffey Sr., who had been a key member of the World Series champion Cincinnati Reds the year before, was signed to the Seattle Mariners. His son, King Griffey Jr., was just starting his major league career. In the first inning of a game against the Angels, Ken Griffey Sr. hit a home run to left center field. Boom. His son followed him to home plate in the next at bat and hit another home run 
to almost exactly the same spot. This was the only time a father and son had hit back-to-back home runs in baseball history. King Griffey Sr. said later that his father, King Griffey Jr. said later that his father greeted him at the plate by saying, that's how you do it, son. Congratulations. King Griffey Jr. just naturally followed in his father's footsteps. Dads, whether biological fathers or stepdads or, or spiritual fathers in lives of young people all across this, this community, those people that you are providing spiritual leadership for are following you. If you're a great spiritual leader, that's good news because the people that are following you are going to follow in those footsteps. And if you lack in your capacity to be a spiritual leader, then those people that are following behind you are also going to lack in their growth and development. But some of you dads under the sound of my voice have not made a decision to be a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ. You're not saved. And that's the most important decision you men need to make as you consider your own daddyhood. The great paradox of being an awesome father is that first, you have to be a surrendered son. The second piece of your daddyhood that's really important that your children are going to follow in your example of is your righteousness. Your righteousness. Now, we already covered the issue of salvation, so you know that the righteousness you have is not your own righteousness. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another quality to your righteousness in Jesus Christ that we would maybe call sanctification or right living. And this is an essential component of your discipline as dads. In the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, the second half of that verse, James, who is a brother of Jesus, says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Dads, first you need to be saved. You need the righteousness of Christ imputed unto you. And when that happens, you get the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, in you and working through you. And all you have to do to become like Jesus in this life is to continually and consistently surrender to that Spirit. And dads, if you'll do that, then your prayers will be powerful and effective. That's the discipline required to be a good dad. That's what's lacking in the life of Eli. He was there, but his presence wasn't enough to make a difference because he lacked the discipline required to have an impact. The second thing I want to say to you this morning that I've taken from the life of Eli, who was a good man, but not a very great father, is that fathers must disciple their families. Fathers have to disciple their families. Now that's not always an easy thing to do because there are so many things as dads that compete for our energy and attention. Let me tell you a story about an evangelist whose life could not have been going any better until a phone call came. 
This was an evangelist who preached the word with the Holy Spirit's power. He was the most sought after evangelist in his denomination. If you wanted him to come and preach in your church, you had to get in line and wait for a minimum of four years. This was a man who was enjoying the favor of God on his life and ministry. The numerous invitations were always a pull away from his family, but he and his wife had settled on a formula that worked well and enabled him to spend time at home with his bride and the son that he dearly loved. The formula was simple. He would go out and preach for two weeks and then would come home for two weeks. His marriage was strong and his boy was doing well in school and athletics. And then that phone call came. It was a very short phone call from his wife who had just had the latest in a series of arguments with their 16-year-old son. She had asked him to do something and he told her point blank that he wasn't going to do it. This six-foot-two boy was steadily wearing her down. She called to tell her husband that she needed him. The evangelist came home, spoke to his wife, and within four days, the for sale sign was in the front yard of their home. The father then canceled every one of his scheduled meetings for the next four years and accepted a ministry job in a small church in another state. A few years later, his son graduated high school and headed off to college. The evangelist was now ready to go back out on a preaching circuit, but the chance to preach again never came. His career never recovered from his absence in ministry. This dad's decision cost him what he had envisioned at one point in time being a powerful worldwide ministry. This dad decided to focus on his family when they needed him most. Years later, his son whose name will be familiar to us, James Dobson, would begin a ministry known as Focus on the Family, saying, quote, I decided to start this ministry as a result of my own father's focus on his own family. You see, James Dobson's dad's heart would have been set on so many things. It would have been set on his evangelism capacity, on developing his ministry, on spreading the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Dobson's father's treasure was not out in the world, but was back at home with his wife and his son. Dads, we need to learn to treasure our children and our family if we're going to effectively disciple our children and our families. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But for some of us dads, we've experienced some pain and hardship and heartache in our families. Maybe our marriages are not great. Or maybe our sons, as they progress through the teenage years, become very rebellious And in situations like that, it's easy to take our treasure and our heart away from our families and invest them in other things. Invest our attention in things like hunting and spending time with the guys at the hunting camp or fishing and getting the right boat and the right rod and the right reel and the right bait and catching the right amount of fish on the right day. Or maybe for some of us, it's our career, building a name for ourselves and really gaining the respect of our colleagues 
and the people that we work with day to day? Or how about just watching sports and knowing all the latest facts and who's being drafted and what the incoming class looks like? And that's where our heart slowly becomes consumed. And where our treasure is, our heart will also be. And before you know it, as dads, our hearts can turn away from our families, which are going to be imperfect. Remember, there are no perfect families in the Scriptures. So our hearts can be turned away from our families towards other things, and we can lose the desire to be around our families. But in the same way that desire can be lost, that desire can be regained. Let me tell you a story from my life about regaining desire. When I was growing up, I hated spinach. Can I get a testimony out there? Some of y'all do not like spinach. God bless y'all, all right? These are the guys who have good taste. Whoever's got their hand up has good taste, all right? I hated spinach. It was just a thing. Even more, I hated spinach from a can. But then about 14 years old, I start filling out and I start wanting to build slabs of rock-hard muscle, you know, just become chiseled. And I remembered a guy that I saw on a cartoon with forearms the size of footballs. And that guy had a secret to building mountains and mountains of iron, cold steel, just forearms. Popeye the Sailor Man is the guy who I'm referring to, and his secret was eating canned spinach. So I start eating all the canned spinach I could possibly get my hands on. Ironically enough, the spinach phase lasted into my marriage. So my wife married me about the same time. I'm eating like six or eight cans of spinach a day. She can give you a testimony to the truth of this story. What ended up happening, the guy who hated spinach early in life, that decided no no matter how much I had to plug my nose and power down that spinach, I was going to do it, ends up, Really developing a taste for spinach. In the same way, guys, if you'll really force yourself to be disciplined and deliberate and treasure your families, what you're going to find is that there's nothing more that you love to do than just doing nothing with the people who call you dad. That also involves spending some time around your family. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, the Bible says to train up a child in the way he or she should go. And when that child is old, that child will not depart from the training. But to train your children, you've got to spend time around your children. Think King Griffey Sr. and King Griffey Jr. That was a father and son combo who no doubt spent an unbelievable amount of time playing ball together, talking ball, throwing the baseball around, doing batting practice And ultimately, that dad develops his son into a professional baseball player. Dad, your aspirations for your son don't have to be anywhere close to professional sports. But you do have to be intentional. President John Quincy Adams had a son. His son's name was Charles Francis Adams. There's nothing really exceptional about Charles Francis Adams, save the fact that he and his son each kept a diary. And those diaries were later found by historians, and some of the contents of those diaries were published. One day, John Quincy Adams' son, Charles Francis Adams, wrote in his diary on a particular date, quote, went fishing with my son, 
comma, a day wasted. The historians that published some of these contents turn to the same date in his son, Henry Brooks Adams' diary. And Henry Brooks Adams recorded this. Went fishing with my father the most wonderful day of my life. It doesn't have to be professional athletics, Dad. It doesn't have to be Disney World or some elaborate vacation. It just has to be a little bit of time. And if you'll invest the time and make sure your treasure is in the right place, you'll have a family that you're discipling into a rock-solid commitment with Jesus Christ. Dads have to be disciplined, and dads have to disciple. Dads also have to discipline. If you would ask my children, and my oldest, Adrian, is sitting through the second sermon. He really likes my preaching. Um, So if you ask my children, and they could answer this before I even say anything to them, what the one thing on planet Earth that I hate to do is they would be able to clearly tell you what the only thing I really hate on planet Earth actually is. What I hate is to discipline my kids. I hate to discipline. My my mom and my dad, if they're watching this, were really soft on me, okay? And I just naturally come from kind of a, a soft sort of family, and it's my predisposition to take it easy on my kids, Okay? But I promise you this, and they would also tell you this, they get disciplined a lot, okay? Even though I hate it, I'm willing to do it. And I'm willing to do it because of this. If we as parents, and especially as dads, don't discipline our children, the Lord will discipline them for us. If we as dads or we as parents don't discipline our children, the Lord will discipline them for us. I didn't go into this for the sake of time, but it would be a really cool study for the rest of the week if you'd read the first part of 1 Samuel. In the fourth chapter in the 18th verse, Samuel's sons, who are very prideful and arrogant, come up with this grandiose idea to take the Ark of the Covenant to the front of a battle the Israelites were having with an enemy nation. The enemy nation ends up defeating the Israelites, capturing the ark, and killing Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phinehas. When Eli gets the message, he understands that their death is a direct result of God's punishment on both him and them for their disobedience and lack of discipline and discipleship. And when Eli gets the news, he's so overwhelmed, he falls back in the chair he's sitting on and dies. That death and that situation with Eli and his sons would cause the glory of God to depart from Israel. You see, when God does the disciplining, it's not going to be as soft as when Dad does the disciplining. And so as a dad, I don't want God to have an opportunity to disciplining something in my sons and my daughter that I have not already disciplined in them. As we're talking about discipline, I do want to say, dads, you can discipline too harshly. You can do that, dads, if you're not careful. And harsh discipline is not necessarily about how hard the spanking is or about how gruff you are with your children when you you reprimand them. 
and is all about your lack of discipleship of your children. You see, if you haven't treasured your family or spent enough time with your family to effectively disciple them, then almost any discipline you administer will seem too harsh. But if you've spent the time treasuring your family and discipling your family, then your discipline will almost never feel too harsh. So we we teach a sermon like this and we read about a guy like Eli. And as a dad, I just can't help but think of all the mistakes I've made, even in the last week, as I've been preparing and studying for this message. Dads, I want to leave you with a quote from a guy named John Wooden, who was one of the winningest basketball coaches in college history. He coached at UCLA and he said this, It's the team that makes the most mistakes that will win the game. Because they are obviously trying harder. So don't permit your mistakes or the things you cannot do to interfere with what you can do. It's not coincidental that there's no perfect father ever recorded in the scriptures. It's also not coincidental that there's no perfect family ever recorded in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, dads, it's probably our imperfections that are the best evidence we're really making an effort. So don't let those flaws and the mistakes you've made prevent you from being the man you can be to your family. And if you'll make some of these minor adjustments by being more disciplined yourself, by discipling your families a little bit better, and disciplining them just a little bit more, you can move from being a good man into being a great father. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. After I do, we're going, to, we're going to sing a verse of a song. And I invite anybody with any need, whether you're a dad whose, whose daddyhood isn't where it needs to be, or you're a mom who's praying that her husband really fully engages, or anywhere in between, we want to pray with you and encourage you and walk alongside you today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thanks for your word. Thanks for what a blessing it is to be able to learn from it and understand how good men can become great good men can become great fathers. I pray a blessing over all dads that are in attendance this morning and all who are watching online and all dads all across the face of the globe. The the dads are truly the heroes of our society. And I just pray, God, that you'd help those dads to raise up and to, and to surrender to you and to transform our world. Bless us and we thank you, God, for these opportunities to learn from you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.